All right, welcome to another interview episode of Breakthrough Marketing Secrets. I have Melanie Diesel online, and Melanie, let's just dive in with the first question here. You're the author of a new book called Prove It, and I saw it, and I was like, I have to talk to her. It's about <laughs> proof in marketing and advertising. So let's get to the heart of the matter. Why is proof in marketing more important now than ever before? The reality is, is that we're working in probably the most skeptical market that we've ever had to market in before uh, with everything going on, you know, sort of in the broader, in broader society, everything around fake news and alternative facts. And we've got deep fakes going on. People are just increasingly skeptical and, you know, study after study report after report shows that consumers really don't believe almost anything in terms of what they're being fed by marketers, by brands. And so the onus is really on us more so than it ever has been before to produce, you know, proof of our claims and to help them see that, yes, there are certainly people out there trying to deceive them, uh, trying to scam them, but we are not those people. Uh, we, we back up our claims and we bring the proof. These are the proven direct response, marketing, copywriting, and entrepreneurship success strategies you can use today to write your own ticket and create the life you want. I am Roy Furr, and this is Breakthrough Marketing Secrets. Now, here's today's breakthrough. Awesome. Excellent. We'll go so much deeper into that, but I want to dive into your background here and like super impressive. So <laughs> Melanie Diesel, she's a, a keynote speaker, author, award-winning branded content creator, and the author of the Content Fuel Framework, How to Generate Unlimited Story Ideas and Prove It, Exactly How Modern Marketers Earn Trust. Uh, Melanie's also the co-founder of The Convoy and Group Ups, B2B marketplaces that help small businesses save money so they can invest more in themselves and their communities. And Melanie was the founder of Story Fuel, where she spent her days giving keynotes and leading workshops that teach marketers, creators, and companies of all sizes how to create better content. She also has a wildly successful background as a journalist. I have a question about that later. And was the first editor of branded content at the New York Times, a founding member of HuffPost's Huffington Post brand storytelling team, and served as the director of creative strategy for Time, Inc. And that's like barely scratching the surface. <laughs> um, <laughs> So Melanie, one thing I love about your book, which by the way, like I, I should have grabbed the paperback copy, but I have the, the I don't, and my phone is like auto-rotating. I have the the Kindle version here yeah. on my phone. <laughs> uh, one thing I love about your book is that you're very clear about claims that marketers make and the evidence required to back them up. So let's, let's start on the claims side of thing, right? Um, yeah. You have a breakdown in the book of different types of claims that businesses make. And could we like go through that list and give maybe some examples? Yeah. Um, I, I feel like that's a great, like that's that's the foundation of all of this, right? Yeah, it's a it's a good spot to start. So I know business claims sounds very like formal and fancy, but really all we're saying is that's anytime you are setting an expectation for the audience. So it could be making a promise, making a guarantee. Uh, you know, describing the results that you create. There's lots of different ways that it could go, but really a claim is anytime you're setting that expectation in your audience's mind. And, you know, generally speaking, they fall into the five buckets that we talk about, you know, the five types of claims in the book. Uh, the first one being convenience. So convenience claims are anything where you're talking about, uh, you know, speed, ease of use, simplicity. It's really your way of saying like, this is, this is going to be a, a a less frictiony or frictionless <laughs> experience than you're probably yeah. expecting. Um, so, you know, you could talk about like speed of delivery, ease of returns, uh, you know, how simple it is to set your product up. Um, 
all of those things are really kind of in that space of saying like, this is going to be a convenient experience for you. So any claims around that area would be a convenience claim. So that's a, a really good um, example of that I think is super common in the tech space. It's also super common in like anything direct to consumer. We're typically making quite a few convenience claims about, you know, why it's why it's worth working with us directly. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so after convenience comes um, the commitment, right? Yeah. Commitment. Exactly. So uh, and the order here, by the way, is not, you know, anything, anything specific. Uh, it's just, okay. you know, they have to yeah. come in some sort of order. Um, yes. But yeah, commitment claims are, they're sort of one directional claim. So this is the claim that you're making about being committed to something. So could be about a commitment to your consumers. It could be a commitment to a value like sustainability or equal pay or, you know, any number of, of values. All of those would be commitment claims. It's your way of saying we are committed to doing the following. We are committed to supporting the following. Um, and this is often really closely aligned with like corporate social responsibility or corporate giving or, you know, some sort of initiative. But really the commitment space is you saying like, we care deeply about this particular thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's, I mean, we see those a lot with like, it's, you know, breast cancer awareness month, or, you know, you may see commitments around that you see commitments around charitable giving or sustainability is a really big one right now, you know, being green or a neutral carbon footprint kind of thing. Um, all those claims, you know, you're setting that expectation that, Hey, if you do business with us, you are also supporting this particular value, um, or commitment that, that we're making as a company. Yeah. So like doing business with us is a way of expressing your values or is at the very least in alignment with your values. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know if you want to go through all five here, like, uh, connection, comparability, competence, like, yeah. um, like uh, obviously like each of these have, have a unique dimension, but also they, they overlap like how, yeah. Yeah, yeah um, of course. So, I mean, so, um, connection is sort of the, the, two-way interactive kind of version of, uh, of commitment. So if commitment okay. is like, I'm committed to that value, that thing over there, uh, connection is, is the connection between people. So this could be, you know, you're talking about how you're not just, you know, you're not just a number. We see you as a name or, you know, you're talking about longstanding relationships. You're talking about how intimately, you know, your customers, right? So connection claims are really about relationships, uh, comparability claims is usually you are making a comparison to either a specific competitor, you know, your broader competitive set, or even just other solutions that are out there. It's your way of saying yeah. like, we are more affordable, more reliable, more durable, um, but it's in comparison to something. So not just standing on its own. And then competence claims, like those are last, you know, for, for a reason, because it's like, that's kind of table six. Most of the claims we make as businesses are about how we do what we say we're going to do, or we create yeah. the results that we promise. You know, it's really about, um, you know, Hey, we're going to, we're going to follow through. You're going to get what you expect. So the claims, as you said, um, it's less about determining like, okay, do my claims fall into this bucket or that it's more using these buckets as guides, as you're trying to identify the claims that you make as a business, kind of helping you be alert for, okay, these are five common types that I will probably find when I'm doing any kind of audit or when I'm putting together any kind of copy. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's also a, another dimension to each of those claims that you talk about in the book, which is like subjective versus objective claims. Yeah. and you made like you were comparing them and there was something a little bit surprising to me. So uh, first off, what's the difference and how might they need to be approached differently? Like, can you speak to that? 
Yeah. So, I mean, at the most basic level, if you want to like categorize uh, a claim as either subjective or objective, the question to ask is, is there a universal way to measure this? Because if it's an objective claim and you're saying like, my product is waterproof, like either it is or it isn't, you put it in water and you'll know, right? Like other people would measure it the same way. Or is it actually 14 inches tall? Is it actually have three attachments that come in the box? Like those are quantifiable, easy to you know, identify the truth of easy to prove essentially subjective claims are ones where there isn't necessarily like a shared universal way to measure it. So the best examples I like to give are are really sensory experiences. So something being soft, like there's not an official softness scale, as far as I'm aware, Uh, you know, soft, soft microns per millimeter. Like there's not, there's not a universal way to measure that or how tasty something is, how good it smells. Um, Sensory experiences are really difficult to quantify. That doesn't mean that you can't prove them. It just means you have to approach it in a different way because you have to know in the back of your mind that everyone feels differently about this. Everyone will evaluate it in their own way. And oftentimes you have to rely more on multiple or many opinions to help provide proof of that, right? Like me saying it's tasty is one thing, but if I get 10 consumers saying this is the best thing I've ever had, like now you're more likely to believe that claim. Yeah, yeah. So what jumped out at me in the book was uh, you you made some comment like uh, objective objective claims um, or objective proof is like more easily accepted, which is both contrary to my, my expectations and completely in alignment with my experience. Um, you know, because because I feel like oh, I always have to prove the objective truth, right? In in yeah. my marketing, but then most often if I'm complaining to somebody about like the content of their advertisement and saying, saying, no, we need to edit this and make it better. It's because they're saying something like, you know, this is the, this is the best training on XYZ, which is a completely subjective. And I say like, prove it, right. According to who, right. Best compared to what. (laughs) Yeah. And so there's the, there's a, there's a filter and I'll, I'll use the, the PG version. It's the BS filter, right? Like, um, (laughs) Like, like that's BS. Prove it to me. Like, sh- sh- share with me. Um, well, you you have this chapter, and I loved the name of this when I when I saw the name of the chapter because it very much is in alignment with so much. Uh, you have a chapter called "Building a Body of Evidence," right? And that has a very like courtroom legal legalistic Love. feel, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but it but it absolutely matches the advice, like especially in direct response, where so many. Um, of the industries that we speak to are heavily regulated, you have to be ready to argue your advertising claims in court. Oh, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, as the copywriter, you are never there, <laughs> right? But somebody has to do it. <laughs> yeah, but 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 you need to have that level of justification for the yep. business to feel comfortable running it. And also, like if you think about it, like there's the court of public opinion. And I think I saw you talked about like the jury of your prospects or the jury of your market. Um, so, so when you talk about this building a body of evidence, you talk about like three types of evidence and, um, can you kind of share with us, like, what is that and how, how might a business do that? How might a marketer do that? Yeah. So, um, I love that you're picking up the the legal thing. So I'm not a lawyer. Uh, I, you know, I don't, I don't even pretend to, to be (laughs) one, but, um, I think it's a really good analogy, right? Because when you go into like a court case, like we all see on the court TV dramas, like there are some alleged facts and 
someone's job is to bring enough evidence to prove those to be true. Right. Um, yes. And if we have this understanding that like our audience is more skeptical than ever before, like the onus is on you to prove, you know, innocence or truth. Right. So I think it's a really good kind of framework for thinking about it is, you know, how can I prove whatever claim I'm making at a given point, knowing that, like you said, we've got this jury of prospects who are waiting to, you know, make their verdict. Um, so when we talk about building proof, you know, theoretically, I'm sure there's lots of different things you can do. Coming from my background as a journalist and a marketer, I see content and content creation as one of the best ways that you can both create that proof and then put that proof out into the world. Because um, it's one thing to create it. It's another thing if no one knows where it is and nobody sees it. So it's kind of that like creation and distribution combination that you need to think about. Uh, and we talk about in the book, there's three different types that I like to turn to personally that I think work very well for this. So the first one is um, corroboration. So the idea being just like in a courtroom, you bring in experts, you bring in witnesses, you're saying you don't have to take my word for it. Like here are these other people that you can believe that you can trust, um, which yes. like we just mentioned with subjective claims can be super helpful. Like it's not just me, it's all these other folks saying this as well. So that could be anything from like bringing quotes into your piece, you know, quotes from experts, quotes from customers, employees, whoever, um, to like full on stories from those people. And then in addition to corroboration, we have uh, demonstration. And the idea between behind demonstration content is like, you don't have to take my word for it. You can see for yourself, right? So this is where we're bringing in really detailed stories, which as copywriters, you know, we're often doing kind of giving a, a case study, a customer success story, sort of the beefed up testimonial that's really painting a detailed picture for them um, yes. or, or just documenting it in real time. Uh, documentation is sort of like, um, I feel like the best example for this is the infomercial model, right? Where it's like, I'm telling you that this absorbs five times more water, but you don't have to take my word for it. Like I'm going to dunk it into water <laughs> on screen and show you like the absorption of water happening right before your eyes. Um, the side-by-side -side demo model is not always what we go for. It's a little, uh, it's a little much for a lot of our claims, especially if you're in like a more buttoned up B2B type space, like infomercial drama is not really the brand we're going for, but it gives you that idea of like, how could we show this? How could we, instead of just telling them, how can we show it? How can we bring that proof that they can see with their own eyes? So they don't even have to take our word for it. Yeah. Even, even, even there, like a, like a. I mean, it's in the, it's in the name demonstration, but like a product yeah. demo is that kind of thing. I was just, I was just speaking to a Silicon Valley founder developer yeah. and, and he like got in there and he's like, this is what the software is doing right now. It was, it was early stage, like pivoting, changing up the software a little bit. Yeah. It's like, this is what it's doing right now. And it, it gave me the opportunity to see that it's not just, it's not just claims. Like it gave me the opportunity to see this is what is actually going on. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Um, and that, that is for software, especially, I feel like that's one of the easiest slam dunk piece of proof, you know, pieces of proof that you can create because we're often in market saying, you know, it's easy to add a new, a new customer to this system, or it integrates, you know, very easily. We're making a lot of convenience claims around software, but Oftentimes, like what your chief engineer thinks is simple and easy may not be the same as what I, you know, first time buyer think is simple and easy. So being able to show that, um, I, I always say a click comparison, I feel like should be table stakes for any 
you know, software brand or, or anything that's claiming simplicity. How many clicks does it take to do something in your software versus some other option? Because if you can do it in three clicks in yours to, you know, start a new case, create a new file, whatever it is, and you can show on screen that it takes 12 clicks to do that in the other, like, <laughs> it's very obvious that yours is a simpler solution, you know? Yes. Yes. Uh, I love, I love that. Now you also talk about uh, education as being the the third main type of evidence that businesses can provide. Absolutely. Uh, can you speak to that a bit? Yeah. So educational content, one of the things that I find, and this is especially true, you mentioned earlier, like heavily regulated industries or highly technical industries, or in any situation where your buyer is not your end user. And so their level of understanding may be different that's where it's going to be really important for you to provide informational content that's going to help them understand that claim uh, and to provide coaching content that walks them through the process of getting to the place where they can understand that claim. So, you know, there's a lot of times where, you know, if you're, again, if you're a first time buyer, if you're not familiar with the space, then you can't even understand the claims that are being made, never mind draw your own conclusion. Um, a good example of this would be, you know, maybe a first time car buyer, someone who's not familiar with the car buying process. If you are out here telling me about horsepower and, you know, all these things that like, I don't have any experience with, then I don't know what that means. I don't know if you're proving convenience. I don't know if you're proving efficiency because I'm not sure what those things mean. They don't have a context for me. So if you're able to explain, here's what horsepower is, here's why having more horsepower is better. Here's what that allows you to do. Okay. Now you've provided enough information that your claim means something to me. And I think we overlook that sort of knowledge gap that our prospects might have in a lot of cases that we just assume they know what we mean when we say, you know, we have fewer parts per million of such and such, you know, such and such ingredient or something. And, and they, they often don't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and there's a real risk when you speak from the perspective of, of that industry insider who just knows. And so yeah. I, I feel like sometimes the role of the copywriter is to actually get in there and what I have a friend who's, excellent copywriter uh, for investment products. Mm. And um, he has chosen to never really learn how, like all the, all the stuff that the, uh, yeah. that the investment experts that he, that he speaks about uh, he's chosen to never, never really learn all of their knowledge. And it's because it forces him to just like uh, say, I don't understand that. Right. Yeah. And to like bring the understanding down to uh, like on Reddit, explain like I'm five. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that's that's so important. And again, like the more technical the industry, the more important that is. Uh, I know that I I've worked with a number of clients who were in sort of the Internet technology space, which, yeah. you know, I feel like we all think we know how the Internet works. But some of these, you know, folks who are providing like the back end technology, uh, they were like acronyms that like I had never even heard of. You know, we're talking about cables under the ocean. Like there's a yeah. lot going on, that, you know, behind the scenes. And that was a case where very often. I would get, you know, maybe quotes back or, or some context back from the client and say, if I don't understand what any of these things mean, and I'm working on your content all the time, like we probably need to break it down further. Like let's either create additional content that kind of provides context or build out this content in a way that provides more context so people can, can get the gist of what we're trying to say. Yeah. And for something like that, obviously you could you can have different messages that cater to different audiences. So like the engineering exactly. team may want exactly what the engineer just said. Exactly. But the business team may want 
something completely, completely different. Yeah. Yeah. The, the best question oh. in that case is at least what I have found, if you're getting any kind of pushback is who's buying this. And I know that that sounds like you can ask it in a very innocent, curious way. It's not meant to be sassy. It's to say, I totally understand how valuable this documentation is for the engineer. Who do we think is going to be buying the software or buying the service in this case? And that's oftentimes where you're like, oh yeah, it's not the engineer. Like the engineer is, is suggesting it, but they're not the one signing the check. You know, they're not the one, you know, sending the invoice over. So we need to, we need to message this a little differently in this case. Yes, absolutely. So I'm totally feeling like this, this next question, uh, my, my notes say you came to the marketing world through journalism and I'm totally feeling like the journalist vibe that, that you're comfortable just asking that really basic question. Like, wait, hold on. Who, like, who is signing the purchase order on this so that we can know yep. who we need to make sure we're talking to. Right. Um, well, from all of that context, what's one big thing that marketers and entrepreneurs could learn from journalists to make their copy and their messaging more effective this oh man that's a hard thing to give one example um but okay. i'll give you two that come up okay, really great. frequently for me um so the one thing that i always took from you know one of the first things they teach you in journalism school is like a good journalist keeps themselves out of the story i am not the story i am conveying the story that happened to other people so being able to bring in expert opinions, that's the corroboration piece we talked about, I think is, is so second nature for me coming up through journalism that it's not my job. Something is good or easy or that it was fun or that you should go or that there's embezzlement happening. Like it's my job to show you the sources who say that, right? To bring in the appropriate voices and facts to paint that picture. And so I think adopting that kind of mindset uh, kind of help you bring in that corroboration, like anywhere you can, like who else can back me up on this? Who else can, can, you know, convey this message is so, so valuable. Even if you don't use those exact words, talking to the engineer, talking to the product designer, talking to a customer, you know, a sales professional, whoever it is, it's going to give you more context and help you paint a better picture for the audience with the words you assemble. So that comes up all the time. And the other one is, you actually already hit on it, is just like an insatiable curiosity. As a journalist, you go into every story with the base understanding that I don't know what the story is yet. It is my job to find it, right? I don't, I don't know what's going to happen at this town hall meeting. I don't know what this person's going to say when I talk to them. So you're on a fact-finding mission all the time. And that sort of insatiable curiosity allows me to go into situations as a marketer like you said, where I know nothing about the product, the industry, the service, and I have confidence that if I ask the right questions and I talk to the right people, I will gather enough information to teach someone else. So this ability to approach new things with curiosity um, and confidence that you have enough curiosity to get to the point of being a teacher on that subject, I think is a, a really, it's a freeing thing. You, you know, you don't have to worry about not being an expert. You're going to become the expert. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating because it really resonates. I, I don't have a journalism background, but it really resonates with with skills and and uh, capabilities that I've developed yeah. um, along the way. Is there like, let's say you're working on a new client, new project, new um, messaging. Yeah. Uh, do you have a process for for like pursuing like like how do you find the message? Like how do you how would you work with a company and and make sure that you're at that you're talking to all the right people and asking the right questions? And yeah. 
So um, this is one of those tough things. And this is a big part of like where my first book came out of is some of these things. I just don't, I don't know how I do it because it just happens right through training and experience. So I have to like reflect on it to really see like, okay, what is it that I'm doing here? You know, sort of in my head. Um, and, And it is that insatiable curiosity of just like, okay, the who, what, where, when, why, like who's involved with this? Why did you make it? You know, What's what's the promise? You know, just kind of asking as many of those who, what, where, and why, you know, and how questions that you can um, gets you a lot of the way there. But I also yeah. think there's, you know, there's, I think asking people like the most basic questions again, like don't be afraid to not know the answers, even if you have to frame it as. Now I know we know the answer to this, but just for the sake of questioning, like, what's the purpose of the product? What do you hope just, people will believe? You know, like humor me for a minute here. You know. Um, I think getting people to reflect on that, it's really important to remember that most people you talk to or most people involved with the brand, with the sales process, like they have a day day and they're caught up in that day to day. They have to be. And so they don't always have the time to kind of take a step back. No one gives them the opportunity to take a step back and say, what's our purpose? What's the goal here? You know, what do we want people to believe about us? What do we hope customers say about us? And Getting, giving them the opportunity to like reflect on that and answer those questions unearths so many like gems that you probably wouldn't find otherwise. And then the best recommendation I always have, and this comes from journalism too, is at the end of any of those conversations, who else should I talk to that would have a unique perspective on this? You get so many great, you know, recommendations of, oh, you should talk to our product designer or, oh, you know, the head of our design department has some, you know, some really great thoughts on this topic. Um, and when it comes from a warm introduction like that, you're going to get better reception, higher likelihood of them saying yes, and probably they're going to be more open with you because they know you've spoken to someone else they trust and respect. So I think, you know, again, just like the endless curiosity, don't be afraid to ask even the most basic questions and then ask who else could I talk to about this? Yeah, I think that I think that lesson of just being willing to ask questions is so a lot of people, oh gee, so many people who are copywriters, um, if they're working for clients, they came at it from the writing side and not necessarily the journalism side. Yeah. And, you know, we'd rather be holed up writing our poetry or prose um, in our in our writer's cave. And then we're we're faced with this challenge of having to like go talk to a client. Yeah. And and uh, uh it took me a while to get over, you know, my discomfort with just talking to random people about whatever, but the, well, the more that I've done it, like you just, you just have the opportunity to ask questions like this. And, and yeah, and, well, and you know, I'm, I'm, it may be surprising because here we are talking, you know, for a podcast, but I'm actually an introvert. So if it's any hope for anyone who's like, <laughs> I could never do that. Like, that's so scary. The easiest thing for me is to remember that I'm not doing it for myself. I'm doing it on behalf of my audience. And I know for a lot of journalists and, and copywriters as well, like, we're in this for the audience. Like that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to connect to them. We're trying to help them understand something. We're trying to, you know, serve them in some way. And so for me, when I can adopt that mindset of service of like, I'm not asking these questions for me. Like I'm the audience. What does the audience want to know? What would they ask if they were here? That kind of shift sometimes makes it a lot easier for me. Cause I don't know. I feel like it's always easier to stick up for somebody else than yourself sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's too true. And like what I'm what I'm also hearing in this is there's 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 traces of getting yourself out of the story, even in this, right? Like even in yeah. the questioning. Yeah. Um okay. 
I don't, I don't know if this is, uh, I, this might be a bad question, but I'm wondering if you, <laughs> if you personally have a favorite or go-to type of proof, like strongest, most universal works best for yeah, you yeah. or, uh, just what your general reaction is to that question. So, I mean, I think I, I touched on it a little bit already. And again, this comes from the journalism side of things. I think asking other people like corroboration for objective or subjective claims is I think so, so valuable if it's executed well. Um, Cause the reality is, you know, and again, coming back to our skeptical audience, whatever we say as the brand, as copywriters on behalf of the brand, like, of course, we're going to say something nice about ourselves. Of course, we're going to say the product works. Of course, we're going to say it's amazing and you should get it right. Yes. So getting someone else to say it is so incredibly valuable. You know, you want to call it social proof or already validate, whatever you want to call it, getting someone else to say it is so, so helpful and so impactful. And again, like I, I could throw a study out, but there's so many to choose from, you know, the data just shows over and over again that, you know, they're not going to believe it when we say it. And so the more of other people's opinions we can bring into it, the more faces and voices we can add to that, that choir, um, the more compelling it's going to be for them. So to me, like, I don't care what you're doing. There's somebody else that you can bring into that to, to, to add some credibility. Yeah. Well, arguably one of the most powerful things that Amazon did for just internet shopping in general was the whole reviews section. And yeah. I would challenge anybody who like goes shopping at Amazon, you know, how, how often do you read the product description first? And how often do you read the reviews first? Mm -hmm. uh, because like I'll read, I'll read the good reviews, the bad reviews, and then make my decision based on that. And often yeah. it's still buying after the bad reviews. Oh yeah. Well, and you know, there's, again, I'm a, I did so much research on like what makes people buy and you know, what kind of proof works and believe it or not, a lot of the data shows that if you, if there are negative reviews, it does increase people's likelihood of buying because they then feel that the reviews are honest. If there's only five-star reviews, that seems too good to be true. Like nobody had a complaint. These, these are probably fake reviews or they're seeded. Like it's not possible that everyone was a hundred percent happy. Um, same thing like a restaurant, right? If you see that there's a couple of people who had a bad experience, you're like, okay, I, I now trust this 4.5-star review even more because I believe it's real, right? Like it's not, they're not deleting bad comments or something else. So, you know, that kind of evidence I think is just so helpful for online shopping. It's helpful for, you know, sales pages, adding testimonials. It just, I don't know. I can't, I can't encourage you enough to get <laughs> someone else to say whatever you're trying to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And as a direct response marketer, often, often what I'm looking for is like, if I'm trying to say something in copy, if I'm trying to say, I don't know, like if, if I'm trying to say this, this product achieves X, Y, Z result, I would love to have three reviews right next to it that are, I didn't know if this would actually give me X, Y, Z result, but it did. And yeah. I was surprised. Like, um, yeah. I mean, yeah. And it, it doesn't even, I, I, I mean, I'm saying like people's voices and people's opinions, but that could also be like a case study, right? A customer case yeah. study where you're just showing the results that you created. It could be before and after photos. It could be, you know, a gallery of after photos showing the, the quality of work that you create. Like just what's, what's a way to bring other people's evidence into, into the conversation. Yeah. So one of your major, uh, places of emphasis has been specifically around branded content. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of in that direct response curmudgeon school where it's like, everything has to like content marketing only works if it's serving, like generating conversions. Yeah. But 
Um, I also recognize that that's maybe a little too curmudgeonly. <laughs> and um, the, the things like branded content when done with intention can be really useful. Yeah. So um, like when a company or brand really focuses on proof-based, trust-based um, content, what happens to that company? Like if they're consistently proving their claims? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I think this is true, like across all sides of marketing, we know that it's so much easier to keep a customer, keep a client than it is to find a new one. Right. So if you can bring these folks on board by providing proof and then you fulfill those promises, we're sort of assuming that that's just going to happen. You're not lying. You're going to, yes. you're going to fulfill these promises. Right. Uh, then you typically would see like higher retention. You're going to see higher loyalty, word of mouth, like all of those very difficult to quantify things that we run into as uh, and, and copywriters. But you know, the reality is that people do business with people they trust. And so if you can establish that trust, the, the lifetime customer value, the referrals, like all of that stuff just dialed up. Because if you had never earned the trust in the first place, none of the rest of that could have happened. Um, and I think that's why this focus on building trust is so important because it really does underpin every other KPI you could possibly be optimizing for. You know, people don't buy, they don't subscribe, they don't schedule calls with people they don't trust. And so that, that has to be kind of step one uh, but I also think it's important to note, like, I'm not just talking about doing this in your blog post. Like, this is also on your web copy. It's on your sales pages. Like you mentioned, the, the reviews are corroboration of those claims. So it doesn't have to be this sort of, we only do this when we're doing content marketing explicitly. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is, this is practice across your platforms, across your properties. Like, this could be happening like in in-store signage. This could be happening in your direct mail. It could be happening in your, you know anywhere, really. It just needs to be something that um, is kind of at the back of your mind. Like, how can we prove this rather than just say it? How do we show it instead of just just say it? Yeah, absolutely. And even like, I mean, this, this is an example that we're creating this content. We're creating this podcast episode. Yeah. We're doing some education-based marketing. We're going to, yeah. uh, you know, provide some information about the power of proof. And then at the end, or even right now, I'll say like, check the link in the description to prove <laughs> it to Melanie's yeah. book. And um, you can you can go buy that, but the whole act of of sharing this proof, right? This, yeah. These types of proof in this in this content um, is likely to increase conversions down the road. So yeah. maybe maybe somebody uh, you know watches this and they click through, and then because Amazon is so great at stalking you around the internet, three <laughs> weeks later they see that you know red file proving that. Um, a book cover on an Amazon ad. And they're like, oh yeah, that was a good interview. Yeah. Uh, and they, they click through. Um, so it can, it can increase conversions too, if it's, if it's content. And I, I think the other thing is like, we, it's very difficult. Again, it's very difficult to quantify. It reminds me a lot of like, remember the early days of social media when people were like, why does a business need to be on Twitter? Like, why would I yes. need a Facebook page? And now you would be like, of course you do. We don't even question it. It's just something that has value in building that relationship. It just needs to be done. And I think that in a lot of ways, this is like that. Content was like that at first and now building trust through content, I think is, is the same way where like, of course you need to build trust. Of course you need to provide evidence these claims because that's what kind of brings people into the funnel, brings them on board. Um, but yeah, I think it's like, it, it's just going to be one of those things where 
hopefully, you know, ten, five, 10 years in the future, people are like, remember when we used to just say things without evidence, you know, it's like, <laughs> it like seems foolish in retrospect. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I like your language of table stakes around this. Like if you're going to show up and you're going to create content for your business anyway, no, no matter what it is, or like, if you're going to be providing resources for your sales team, or you're going to be whatever, right. Find the, find, build your body of evidence, right. Build your body yeah. of evidence of, of the different types of proof. and use that as a resource. And I love like body of evidence makes me feel like it's not just the claim that I'm putting in the marketing. It is, I have this internal resource that I have that can be used by the sales team, by marketing, by product development, by whatever, whoever needs it. Um, So in some markets, it's not just about trust. Like, you know, I've, I've done a lot of work around investment related products and we have big compliance departments. Um, you know, anything that has to do with money, anything that has to do with health, yeah. um, definitely has a lot of legal and compliance related reasons. Um, so if if we're in one of those industries, complicated, like heavily regulated technical businesses and products, like how I would argue that this is pretty much essential, but like um, like how, how can we use this or, or why is this especially important for us? You know, it's funny. I, uh, when I first was at Huffington Post and we were doing, you know, branded content there, I worked with, um, uh, we called it live better America. It was sort of general mills umbrella brand. And I okay. joked that we had a, a several page document that talked about when to use ITE versus LIGHT. Like that's how regulated it was. Right. So I definitely know that space. I know the challenge of like three, three week turnaround times for medical legal review. Like I know the struggles. Um, so I get it. Uh, I think one of the best things again, is to bring out that curiosity and, and talk to the folks who are making those decisions. If you can, if you have access, I know sometimes it's tough if you're, you know, a contractor or something, but, um, getting your hands on those rules and understanding what can we say and what can't we say? Because at the end of the day, those rules are really about what claims you're allowed to make. Right. That I mean, yeah. that's the whole purpose of those reviews of documentation of those rules is like, here are the claims we're legally allowed to make. Those folks can be your allies instead of your, you know, your anti-hero. <laughs> like, you know, I also want to make the claims we want to make and I want to make sure I'm backing them up appropriately. So, you know, the more you understand what those fears are, those concerns, those limitations or the, the laws around it, even the better you're going to be able to, to do this on the front end. And so I think making an ally of, of those folks is, is probably one of the best paths to, to being able to do that more effectively. Yeah, absolutely. Like going to them for any resources that they have available for the types of claims that uh, are and are not acceptable exactly. for the language you can use. Um, and, and also, I guess, paying attention because um, I, I, one example that jumps out at me is, is, is like in Facebook ad compliance, if you give a measuring stick, then a hundred percent of your customers need to be able to measure up by that measuring stick. So if it's, yeah. you know, you're going to make a thousand dollars in 30 days or something, you have to be able to prove that a hundred percent of your customers make a thousand dollars in 30 days. Yeah. Um, and so it's 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 just good to have some level of of dialogue, I guess, with with those people. For sure. And you guys can work together. I mean, you know, I know that sometimes, again, especially if you're a contractor, you don't always ha- have the most pull or the most influence to be able to make certain requests. But when you're working 
in, you know, you're, you're collaborating with the legal team, the review team, the compliance team, like they definitely have pull, they definitely have influence. And so if you're saying, Hey, I want to make sure I back up that claim appropriately. Can you help me identify the person within the organization who can, you know, provide comment on this or something? I just, again, I feel like it's like a superpower when you have uh, a compliance person on your side. (laughs) (laughs) I've experienced that both ways. And I agree. (laughs) Um, Okay, so let's let's imagine that we are a marketer um, who is, you know, we we've started to accumulate our body of evidence. We know the kinds of claims that we need to make for our prospects to be excited about the offers that we're going to make. And now we have the challenge of like, how do we turn this into content? How do we how do we come up with some good content ideas? So this is my uh, slow pitch. Uh, to you for your other <laughs> book. Um, how might we uh, be more effective in in just generating ideas to to turn our proof points into content that we can use in our marketing? Well, I love it. I appreciate the uh, the underhand pitch there. Uh, you know, the so the the first book, uh, Content Fuel Framework, is really about exactly that, right? How to come up with content ideas regardless of platform, regardless of purpose, like what are the factors that we need in order to come up with a really good content idea? And so in the book, I break down that every content idea, like we think of it as thing, an idea, it's actually two things. The first being the focus, like what is this content about? And the second being the format, how are we bringing this content to life? So every content idea has both of those things, a focus and a format. Um, So in the book, I break down like 10 different focuses and 10 different formats, which gives you, you know, if you plot it on a matrix, a hundred possible combinations to tell any story, Um, which is just a really useful place to start, I think, because a lot of times what I have found way is that folks don't process for coming up with content ideas. We just sort of rely on like something will come to me in the moment or like I'll have a strike of genius or I'll see something somewhere else and get inspired. But there's, it's really difficult to have a process that you approach with intention to say, I will now sit down and think and ideas. Um, but that's super possible. And again, that came from the journalism world. Like I didn't realize coming into marketing that other industries thought of ideas as like a limited resource because we never have that option. Like there's always a story to tell. There's always something you haven't shared. There's always someone you haven't talked to. So being able to create that process to have like a renewable resource, I think is, is super valuable. Uh, and again, you know, having a process around it means you're going to be more productive. So uh, I think the superpower is kind of combining these two systems to, to be able to, as you said, you know, identify the proof points and then come up with tons of different ways to, to tell that story. Yeah. I love it. Um, James Webb Young, who is a old advertiser had a book called a technique for producing ideas. And one of the major points is like, as soon as you're connecting two dots together, like it's so much easier to come up with interesting ideas. And yeah. so uh, like what you've done is said, you know, here's 10 dots, here's 10, 10 dots, connect them. And you have a hundred yeah. different ideas for, for content. Yeah. And um, it's very much the way that I think about ideas too but not always the way yeah. that I thought about ideas. And so it's, it's such a useful uh, framework and, and mindset. Um, cool. Well, I think, uh, you know, we're, we're coming to the end of my notes here and I would love for folks to be able to go deeper. Obviously there's a lot more content in both books than uh, yeah. we can cover in the podcast interview and uh, more examples and research, et cetera. Um, so uh, do you, 
Do you want to provide any more of a description about either or both books? I will I will say that I'll make sure there's links in the description. You know, what if you're watching, you see me pointing down below. Yeah. Um, there's links in the description uh to both books. Uh is is there anything else that we need to know about Prove It um or the content fuel framework or both? So I think the the one thing to know about both is uh I am I am a writer by trade but because I am a journalist I focus on efficiency. So one of my my proudest uh pieces of feedback I get on these books is that it's a quick and easy read and that it's incredibly actionable, useful, you know, people are flagging pages to come back as a resource. So that is my promise to you. I know there are a lot of books out there that that oftentimes do have a lot of fluff or there's sort of an exercise in ego. Um my goal yeah. with these books was to make them as short as possible. Uh, having, having done the audio book for both now, I can promise you it's less than three hours if you read it out loud. Uh, so hopefully, uh, it, it proves to be, you know, an accessible resource, not super expensive, um, but also really, really actionable. I want your reading time or your listening time to have incredibly high ROI. So, uh, that is my goal. If it's not a great fit for you, that's totally fine. Um, but if you're looking for something efficient and, you know, actionable that's going to help you move through this process more easily then then I think I can I can fulfill that promise to you. Yeah, as someone who's published a couple of books that are fairly short, um if you measure worth by page count, I think you're focused on the wrong thing. Yeah. Um, I would say if you measure by <laughs> utility and value, uh Melanie's work is incredible. <laughs> um and so I highly recommend it. Again, I'll I'll just say, you know, check out the the links in the description for that. Melanie Thank you so much for being on Breakthrough Marketing Secrets and sharing about Prove It and the Content Fuel Framework. Yeah, thanks for letting me share my story. Absolutely. Thank you. And to everybody who has uh, watched or listened through this episode, thank you as well. I hope you got a ton of value. I'd love to hear what you got. And I will catch you again in the next episode. Thank you once again for tuning in to this daily episode of Breakthrough Marketing Secrets. Remember, check out the links with this episode for even more value. Now make sure you like, comment, share, subscribe, and engage in every way you can to keep this show going and growing and delivering daily value to you. I'll catch you soon for your next big breakthrough.